like Henry McKenna or, or Elijah Craig, you know, won that whiskey of the year, then Henry McKenna and this and that. And you're kind of responsible for that too, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but somehow always comes back to <laughs> way to go. With me. Way to go for it. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. The bourbon boom of the last decade has seen many distilleries trying to create a consumer frenzy around their brands, but few have succeeded like Buffalo Trace. Their entire portfolio, from the flagship line of Buffalo Trace to the coveted vanity expressions like Pappy Van Winkle, have become something whiskey fans furiously chase. And this cult-like following seemed to come out of nowhere, taking Buffalo Trace from a solid but unremarkable distillery to today's whiskey giant. So I ask a question that was so graciously given to us by a former above-the-char submitter, would bourbon be popular without Buffalo Trace? Now, many of us, we point to the linking of the Weeded Weller line to legendary Pappy brand, and this created scarcity mindset and some FOMO that has drawn countless new drinkers into the Buffalo Trace family. And now other Sazerac-owned brands like Eagle Rare and E.H. Taylor have also benefited from this popularity. But is this all just manufactured hype? Buffalo Trace, they insist that they simply can't keep up with demand, yet they continually make headlines for holding back new releases. And all this frenzy, it's been created with minimal advertising. So whether it's real scarcity or just strategic rationing, Buffalo Trace has created a thirst that no other bourbon company can match. Enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes actually in the form of four simple words from Golf and Bourbon on Twitter, who hits me up on Twitter. Bourbon hunting is dead. Well, I, I tell you what, Golf and Bourbon, there's a lot of people who share that sentiment. You can no longer go to stores and find uh, bottles that you once were able to, and you can no longer like give the old uh, wink and the slip of a $5 bill to the manager to see if there's anything in the back. Hey, you got some Blantons back there? You know, that, those, days, those days are gone. That is true. However, hunting is not dead, but the style of hunting has indeed changed. You are no longer as being able to go into a store and go from store to store to store to store. Now your your hunting is basically you have to feed the grounds at which you buy. So kind of like some deer hunters will will feed deer all year round and like, hey, looky here, look who showed up. Pop. You know, that's kind of what it is now. You have to really be loyal to a liquor store or you have to use connections. But there's a there's a new style of hunting that's out there. And sometimes um, the bigger bank account wins the uh, wins the hunt because that seems to be the way of the new game of bourbon is that uh, the prices are going up and it's new bank accounts coming to get them. So as we've seen more people get into bourbon, as we've seen more people with money get into bourbon, we've seen those prices go up. And the thing is, even like the people with money who've been in bourbon for a long time, they're like, I ain't paying $200 for that. That's not a $1,000 bottle. Why in the world would I pay 300 for this? So I, I don't think that this is exclusive to those who are not able to keep up in terms of financially buying the bottles. And I frankly, hey, put me in the club of just tired of the drama associated with it. Tired of competing against somebody who's buying mules to stand in line tired of getting a bottle and being influenced to uh, sell it to a friend or getting a bottle, you know, and not actually tasting like you want or not getting a bottle and seeing the guy who did get it is flipping it on the secondary market. So there's, there's a never ending set of reasons for frustration. But if that's you, if you find yourself frustrated, hey, use this as a moment to explore new options. Maybe you got to look in the mirror a little bit and say, why am I chasing that same damn bottle? How about I go over here to this little distillery in Wisconsin called Driftless Glen and see what are all the hubbubs there. Maybe I should listen and see what, what the flavor of grain really does represent. You know, I'll take on that Spirits of French Lake product. Maybe I should take a look and see what this uh, Starlight uh, 
is all about. Or hey, you know, I heard Journeyman uh, Corset Whips and Whiskey won uh, Best in Show at the Ascots two years in a row. Maybe I should see what that's about. Use this as an opportunity to taste outside of what you're comfortable with, and maybe even explore into scotch, rum, cognac, armagnac, calvados. Just don't go to vodka. Don't go to vodka. But hey, golf and bourbon, I hear your frustration. I do think parts of uh, bourbon hunting is dead, but not all of it. And remember, wherever there is a honey hole that's dried up, there's always somewhere else, and there's always a new spirit to chase. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you'd like to be like golf and bourbon, hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or fredminnick.com. Click the contact button. And if I like the question, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Urban Pursuit. It's the official, and always been, well, not always been the official podcast of bourbon, but you know, it's it's at least for the past 300 episodes or so. Yeah, it's, we've kind of burned it into people's minds now <laughs> that it's the official one, even though- Branding is everything. It sure is. Even so though. we're all here today, and we're going to be talking about a fun subject. And this is one that actually came from a guest listener at one point. It was submitted as an above the char mm-hmm. to Fred, and- it's, we'll put it out there and we'll kind of talk about it. And I think there's a lot of ways that we can unravel this. But the question is, would bourbon be popular without Buffalo Trace? And that serves as a really good baseline because we look at today's market. And let's be fair, Buffalo Trace, they make some of the best whiskey that's out there. Mm-hmm. They make some really fantastic whiskey, but it has gotten to the point where that is one of the only things people care to chase about. There's lines out the door at the wazoo at the distillery every single day for people to vying to just get a glimpse of seeing an E.H. Taylor tube as it disappears in front of them as they're the next person in line or a bottle of Blanton's. And then you've got people that are chasing all over the stores across Ohio and Tennessee and Texas and whatever, just trying to get their hands on a bottle of Weller Green Label. I'm trying to hold down my vomit. <laughs> <laughs> disgust. Well, you think it's disgust, <laughs> but let, let's let's roll back a little bit. I mean, even when we started getting into this, I remember trying to find Stag Junior. I mean, we were trying to find Stag Junior a lot, and that yeah. was one of those things that we used to chase after. So there is some validity to this to say that it would be popular without it. So we can kind of go back and start thinking of, well, where did bourbon start getting really popular and what was that event that made it happen? And there's a, there's a lot of things that we look at and we think of things such as media. You got Anthony Bourdain and what was he always talking about? Pappy Van Winkle. Yeah. With you, Sean Brock and everything. You yeah. got the beverage tasting Institute coming out with the first score of 99 in 1997, 1998 
What was that? Patty Van Winkle 20 year. But all of that is, I think, a little bit, I think we, we see the transformation of that happening. And I think it's a lot different because when you think of those BTI scores from the Beverage Tasting Institute in Chicago, you got to remember that was rye bourbon that was all sourced from Old Boone. It wasn't even the Stitzel Weller and not even the Buffalo Trace that is today that is inside of Happy Van Winkle. So that could have been some of the events that really set this this trajectory off and these really kind of high age statements. But for some reason, that has translated into the entire Buffalo Trace portfolio being something that people chase after and put on a pedestal. Yeah, I'm sure Fred will have more commentary on this, but I think that's pretty short-sighted that, you know, Buffalo Trace is the sole reason for the popularity of bourbon. I think of, you know, Makers being really the brand that helps get it to where it needs to be. And, you know, and then Booker's too. And, you know, Blends is obviously part of that. But, I mean, Makers and Booker's, I think, were pretty, you know, and Fred Prio commented, but I think those are the two brands that are responsible for kind of kicking the initial respawn of American whiskey, American bourbon. I would say makers brought more people into it. Yeah. Because the the ambassador program, everything like that, all the events they would throw, all the free stuff that they would give away. I think that is a a very valid reason of, of how they brought just more people to be involved with it and not just chasing after it. So it's, it's a matter of ways. The question is, and and by the way, I tried to find who, uh, who asked that question for above the char. I couldn't find it. So apologies. I, couldn't find the email. Do you have it? You know, I I I don't have the email. I'd have but to actually so, go back and listen to the episode. And I definitely you know, don't. It's, it's <laughs> not. It's not that we are you know leaving you out. It's that we are just incompetent and, and, <laughs> we, and lost your email. And so we should have just done three seconds of homework before we hit the record button. But you, but the fact is, incredible question. One that I did answer previously, and then we we'd say hey, this should be a whole episode. So I, this does go in in waves. So let's let's take a look at the modern popularity of bourbon. The people who kind of brought this here was Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark was pounding pounding down doors, marketing, you know, bringing other bourbons with them for tasting. So they were not just promoting their own stuff; they were promoting Kentucky bourbon. Uh, I also think that Jack Daniels opened you know more doors than. Anybody for the American whiskey category, you know, without Jack Daniels, there probably is not a maker's mark. There's not a wild turkey. I mean, those things definitely exist, but they would not be as popular. So Jack Daniels, of course, number one selling whiskey in in the world, you know. But we usually picture makers as being your gateway bourbon. I don't know if I'd picture picture Jack as being that. But makers does not exist without Jack Daniels. I think that's what I'm saying is like, is that Jack Daniels created the interest in, in American whiskey period. And then, you know, then we kind of dissect it into Kentucky bourbon, that sort of thing in terms of the modern popularity that, so that that's all built, you know, in the early eighties, then you have like, you know, Blanton's coming out as the uh, first commercially available single barrel. It should be noted that uh, Brown Foreman contested that saying that they actually had the first single barrel barrel line, but, uh, Blanton's did have a commercially available single barrel. Was that the president's choice yes. back in the day? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they, they're they like, you know, actually, we had the first one, but that Blanton's actually, Albert Blanton actually would commercially make available single barrels in Kentucky in the 1940s and 50s. So Blanton's was indeed the first, but the, you know, in terms of what we know it as today, you know, that didn't come out till the till the early 80s. Booker's comes out. I also think it's important to t- talk about how important Willet was, Kentucky bourbon distillers, you know, as we know Willet now, because they were they were developing the market in Japan. A lot of people jumped onto that. Blanton's was created for Japan. Booker's was created for Japan. So you, you had all this interest in Japan. Japan's market collapses. Then you have... Um, all these people developing brands for Japan, namely from what is now Diageo, then United Distillers. They had a brand called Rebel Yale. Now it's called Rebel, owned by somebody else. And they were making all of this weeded bourbon, with which was the Rebel Yale recipe, for the Japanese and Australian market. Taxes changed in Australia, market collapsed in Japan. And so they're like, well, shit, what do we do with all this whiskey? So they're more of a scotch company. You know, the Johnny Walker was their was their Hallmark brand. And they said, well, let's just sell these brands. So they sold Weller, 
Uh, they sold old Fitzgerald. They sold Rebel Yale. And they also sold all of their stocks. Sazerac ended up buying a lot of, you know, with the acquisition of Weller, they ended up buying a lot of the stocks as well. And in this time, we're talking mid to late 1990s, uh, Julian Van Winkle is, you know, basically replacing shingles on his roof every day at the old Commonwealth Distillery. There's leaking everywhere. The bottling, bottling lines broken half the time. Uh, raccoons are coming into the facility. You know, sounds it, romantic. This this man is is having to trade cases of whiskey just to you know make a payment on an advertisement in a in a magazine. And so, like, he's not doing well, right? So this is not the, you know, you hear about the Pappy story, and oh, my God, it's overhyped and everything. But this man was on the brink brink of collapse. You know, this was not a a success story. And then he gets that 99-point score. And, you know, look, as a a critic, as someone who's been rating stuff for a, a long time, I will tell you that there's hundreds of review stuff right now like in the in the space like there's there's so many people you can go to to get but back in the 90s there were really two or three sources of like uh, of of like a review and the beverage tasting institute which still exists today but not as prominent because there's so much uh so many other people and so many other critics out there back in the 90s it was it was the it and so like he got the it and that moved the needle in the trade and that's that opened up interest for like having a, a partnership with other people. And what better place to have a partnership than the people who bought his uh, grandfather's brand and Weller and bought a lot of the stocks that uh, was associated with that distillery in Stetzel Weller. And so then you're looking at late 1990s, early 2000s when these conversations began, and eventually the partnership happens. What Buffalo Trace did at that point, nobody else had even considered. And this is why I think that there is a strong case for Buffalo Trace being a big reason why, the majority reason why, that we look at bourbon in the same light that we have always historically looked at scotch, which is like this amazing super premium. In the early 2000s, when everybody was making a volume play, you know, so everyone was trying to like create uh, an 80 proof churn and burn product when there was just little glimpses of interest of a cash drink product, they decided to create the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, while at the same time, they were promoting Pappy. They were not creating an 80-proof product to turn and burn. They were creating something that would be of interest to people who were drinking, you know, 15-year-old Macallan. Well, you got to forget, <laughs> they were creating something on the back burner that nobody even thinks about, cinnamon whiskey at 70 proof that was that was but that but that was also some years later you know the in the early 2000s when it came to bourbon there was nobody creating limited edition products like this they were there were well there was the parkers you know there was uh you know the the knob the beam you know the beam they have the beam stuff came came out in the late 1990s and it just they there was not a series they just came out came back to it, but it was never consistent. Buffalo yeah. Trace Antique Collection was consistent. They were creating a model that was entirely focused on, for lack of a better term, like people who were drinking high-end scotch. Uh, and also they they would begin to like try to get writers like Michael Jackson and Jim Murray, you know, John Hansel, people who were prominent, prominent scotch writers, getting them over to cover, you know, bourbon. And, you know, what better advocate than that than Elmer T. Lee? Anyone who ever met Elmer T. Lee, like, fell in love with them, fell in love with the story. So early on, they created a model that said that bourbon is not a, is not inferior. They cre- That's what they did with their, with, with both with Pappy, the Buffalo Chase Antique Collection, and then later, you know, and they, and right there, kind of like, down below there, never considered to be super premium, Blanton's and, you know, Elmer T. Lee kind of in between there. Then they would have, they would get the rights to E.H. Taylor. And then in the mid-2008, 2012, they start start seeing it and they're like, how can we build around this? And that's when you start seeing all the flavored whiskeys kind of grow. You start seeing the uh, vodkas kind of come in. But early on, Buffalo Trace did create the model that has been incredibly successful. I'm just trying to think like what was the 
Maybe that was the catalyst, but like... By the way, before you get too far, I want to just go ahead and give Fred a little bit of a round yeah, of Yeah, that applause. was really good. That was a very good, was good very, uh, very good timeline. Is that an excerpt from Bourbon Curious? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, just, I just... No, it just... Um, it's been ingrained in his, yeah, his brain. Yeah, it's been... That was oh, very interesting, very good. Thought out, Fred. Uh, it, well, you know, the thing is, is like listening, talking to someone like Mark Brown, you know, the outgoing CEO president of, of Buffalo Trace, which I don't know if they've announced his retirement yet, but he's retiring conversations with him listening to him talk about what it was like to sell whiskey during that time frame that's fascinating yeah because they i mean everybody looks at all of this right now and it's like oh my god but i mean these were horrible business decisions in the late 90s and early 2000s they were horrible like in you know but those people like they they believed in the process and they they thought there was you know the internet gave people hope at that time because people could go they, you could see the enthusiasm just growing on the internet uh you could see people coming in from japan and other parts of the country to come to the bourbon festival you know so they're these little glimmers of hope carried them into to continue those decisions you know and i, I think you know what they did there in some ways is like if it was the nfl it'd be like the merger between the afc and nfc which that you know if we look at the modern bourbon boom like that was to me like one of the very important pieces to the beginning. Yeah, and I think early in my whiskey drinking career, you know, Buffalo Trace just didn't wasn't even on my radar. Like anything they made, like you know, Blends I thought was okay. You know, Buffalo Trace was fine. Weller I thought was really good. You know, value product I could go to Rite Aid and get it. You know, twenty dollars a bottle for the twelve year. Oh, I loved Weller one hundred and seven. The antique collection at first, I. I you know, maybe it was just amateur. I just thought I was like, God damn, this shit's hot. And like, it's, you know, not, it's not what I'm used to, you well, know, and, I, and, and, and I didn't even know it existed for yeah. a while. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, the Pappy, they were smart. I think that they kind of attached Weller to Pappy, you know, in that, in the sense that it's the same recipe, you know, but the Van Winkles decide that this goes to be Van Winkle, this decides to be Weller. And I think that, like, t- a tying those two together is really what, like, funneled it down to I everything else. I don't know if... Because they're the Blanton's, ones that yeah, say Yeah, I that. was about to say that, too. I that remember... Is, that well, is, no, no. That I'm, is, I'm that not is saying like, them, but somebody else tying well, that. And that's what... It, it, it might just be very much... That's a that's a grassroots-level marketing and just the rise of bourbon media well, that comes into it. That because, was Chuck Cowdery. Chuck Cowdery, I mean, if you all haven't read, he's a, he's a bourbon Hall of Famer, you know, he's one of my heroes, one of my mentors, great curmudgeon of, uh, of whiskey <laughs> media. That's I love him. But he would go around telling everybody it's the same recipe. And then he would start saying, yeah, and the uh, makers took uh, yeast from Stitzel Weller. <laughs> I mean, he was just like, this is like 2002. And this is when transparency did not exist. And so, you know, a lot of those things that kind of came to be, you know, Chuck Cowdery, did it. And what's interesting is Sazerac actually was very protective of some of their trademarks, but they didn't seem to care about this. Like in the early 80s, they would actually send people cease and desist letters if they published the recipe of the Sazerac or if they used a, an ingredient outside of what they did because they own the trademark Sazerac mm-hmm. and Sazerac as a cocktail. So and not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they were very aggressive about that, <laughs> but they didn't seem to care about the, the Weller-Van Winkle connection nor did they care about their mash bills actually getting out there. So I think that's a, that's, I think that's what's the whole fascinating thing yeah. to this whole thing is like, I, I don't think you can pinpoint to like, cause they didn't really advertise that much or that yeah. well, like makers did, you know, they didn't have like this spokesperson really, you know, there, it was just kind of like this organic grassroots movement. That's what's like the perplexing thing to me. I remember, you know, somebody being, you know, like, hey, can you get blends from him? Like, of course I can get blends. They're on the shelf. It's all. And then I go there and they're like, do you have blends? Where is it? And they're like, no, we've been selling. I was like, what? Since when? You know, for years it just sat there because it, it's good whiskey, but it wasn't like I never had a problem getting it. Yeah. Same with Weller. And it's like it's like hard for me to wrap my head around what created this this behemoth of a, you know, of a company of brands. Yeah, I I think, you know, in terms of like what made them. And maybe it's just being really good whiskey. I just think they, I just think they did a great job. <laughs> and the job. pricing, you know, just they just did a great job of creating creating a, a a FOMO line and then 
the ultimate FOMO, and that's Pappy Van Winkle and BTAC. I also thought that Four Roses was going to, you know, if you'd asked me in 2012 to 2015, I was like, Four Roses will overtake Buffalo Trace. Like, because like what Jim, Jim Rutledge and Al Young were putting out back then, I mean, there's just, there was no better whiskey in the world. Like that, that era of Four Roses was, was amazing. And their whiskey is still amazing. And if you look at an online auction, you have a stag. And then you have the Four Roses limited edition small batch. The Four Roses would have beaten the stag and, you know, 75% of the competitions and critic blind tastings. And yet the stag sells for 2000 and the Four Roses would be six 800 that, That's what's fascinating, too, is because they don't perform well in competitions. No. The Sazerac products. They nope. never do. No. I mean, granted, Weller... William Miller Weller was like high well, that's on true. your it, on this year. Yeah, it but, won my it won my blind but, taste. But that's yeah. your but but it's not like a yeah. you know a whole panel of people. It, it seems it, that that's just strange to me that they really haven't built this like Henry McKenna or, or Elijah Craig. You know, won that whiskey of the year. Then Henry McKenna and this and that. And you're kind of responsible for that too. But um, <laughs> but, but, but that's what, always, that's what somehow so, always comes back to <laughs> yeah. Henry with me. Way to go, Fred. But it's, that, that's what I, I. It's fascinating to me for really. It, and another brand that beats Sazerac on a regular basis in competitions, Barrel. You yeah. know, you know, and Barrels, the ones that win the competition, they sit on the sh- they sit on the shelf, they sell, but it's not like there's a line for it. Like I, and I also do not believe that the Buffalo Trace fan is a bourbon enthusiast. Uh, the, right. the, the the majority of them, I do not, I really don't, because like if you go there and you talk to the people there for the line in the line to get blends and everything. You ask them like, "What podcast do you listen to? What do you? What books have you read?" You know, they don't. They fall into. I like what I like, you know, and I don't. I don't. I don't like that. And any or I've liked what somebody else told me to go get or something like that. Yeah, there's. There, I, I well, totally agree. It's it's a different consumer and all their products. You know, when I, Americans love sweet shit. You know, if we haven't figured that out, and that's. You know, Buffalo Trace, one thing you say about their all their whiskeys is they're very like sweet mm-hmm. profiled forward, you know, and that that necessarily doesn't bring the most complexity or the most flavors, but it's very palatable, I guess, to the to most people. No, I, I think you're right. Let's let's kind of it's it's easy to get that sweet oak note. They do. <laughs> That's right. And it's mm-hmm. but it's easy to get distracted and start thinking where does the mindset of the consumer go? Because it is it is weird to kind of see how that whole portfolio has just transformed and now it's being raised on a pedestal. It's being iconic and you can't get anything from there, whether it's equal rare or I think the only thing you can probably find nowadays is benchmark, but even people are starting to pick up benchmark oh. because they're going, Hey, it's uh, it's Sazerac or it's the same exact thing. Now that Sazerac, it, you know, they own Barton 1792. So even Barton 1792 has a little bit of that magic dust on it now. Because they'll have the same, you go to Total Wine, they have their house brands, and they'll go, it's from the same makers as Sazerac and Buffalo Trace. It's like, well, it's not the same, but that is constantly moving. And so back to the ideas, is would bourbon be popular without Buffalo Trace? Like even that is filtering, it's all the way down into the store level, where stores are now promoting the brands that are just associated Right. Just closely associated with it, not even the same exact product, not even made at the same exact distillery. Just the fact that it exists somewhere on a corporate structure, and yeah. money moves between them. I guess a question, good question to ask would be because in my whiskey journey, I did not start with Buffalo Trace products. It was more of the tradition, you know, Beam, Heaven Hill, Maker's Mark, yeah. you know, those Wild Turkey, Russells, that that kind of core, you know, products, and then. Then I kind of discovered Buffalo Trace later. And do you think like the other brands are benefiting from Buffalo Trace because a lot of newbies are getting in because of Buffalo Trace products and then maybe filtering down? Do you think, you know, the bourbon industry is benefiting from the Sazerac popularity, I guess? Do you think it trickles down to other brands? I would think it does to a point because if you can't find this, go find this. Yeah, uh, that's that's the. Uh, it's a headline on many YouTubers. Top 10, not Sazerac. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't find Blanton's. Go find this. I, I feel that that is, that is relatively... Guilty of that. Yeah. I mean, show. there's there's yeah. definitely some, you know, some truth to that. And even if it's just, you can't find this, go find this. Just in general, people are coming here for the tourism side. Mm-hmm. 
And we've been to Buffalo Trace. We have seen there. We've been on a barrel pick. And all of a sudden, you can stand up on a rock six feet, you know, six feet taller than yourself. And you can see a sea of people out there. And as Fred had said, it's probably not the same consumer as the people that are listening to this, but they're all there. And after they leave there because they can't get a bottle, they can't get into a tour. Well, they're going to go somewhere else. Right. I just feel that they are helping build it, but they're also kind of doing it in a, we only care about us kind of way too, because they're not, they're not helping build everybody else. As, as bad as it sounds, they're a victim of their own success. Blake has said that mm-hmm. plenty of times before. But they creator of the poor man's pappy, by the way. We should give him some <laughs> yeah, credit. Exactly. For some of that. But but they're also not helping they're not being a good neighbor. I think that's the best way to put it too, because they're not a part of the KDA. They're not just not a part of them, but they contest the KDA. They suit suit each other. At that whole that whole drama line. Woo. Yes. That's some inside baseball for the those who like gossip. But uh, at, at any rate, like I think what, one of the things you're kind of you're, you're going down, I don't think you meant it to, is like there's a lot of vitriolic kind of like feelings toward Buffalo Trace because of uh, of can't get the barrel pick, can't get the bottle. I mean, how many retailers now are posting stuff? We don't carry this, or you have to buy two bottles of wheat lead <laughs> to get to get that. And and you know, to their credit, you know, they they pulled out of. RNDC and they're blaming RNDC, you know, their, their distributor for a lot of the, a lot of the practices in, in retail, you know, who's right. I mean, I'm not in there. I don't know. I don't want to be called to testify for things I do know, but, um, Me neither. you know, I, I, I will, that. I will say that, um, they have taken it on the chin in terms of a reputation for sure. But I go back to, I, I bring up another sports analogy Anytime when Kirk Cousins got that fully guaranteed contract with the Minnesota Vikings a, a couple of years ago, all the other teams were so angry because that set the that set the contracts for their quarterbacks moving forward. And so now anytime even a top fifteen quarterback comes up for negotiations, their contract is astronomical because that's what the market is dictating. I feel like Buffalo Trace has been like that quarterback and these all these other you know if you think of these brands as like you know NFL teams or sports teams they ha- they dictate they dictate the market uh, buffalo trace dictates the market if if they want to go somewhere and they say we will have our products in here you know whose products are going to get moved off the shelf someone else's and that's if you look at like what brings people into retail it's that the other brands they swoop in underneath and they play the volume game during this incredible rise of of Buffalo Trace, Heaven Hill has been crushing it with Evan Williams. 86 proof, not the talk of the town in our little circles. Elijah Craig is too. Uh, they've been crushing it with under $30. You know, so the marketability to come in underneath them is like, hey, you know what? We're really good and you don't have to pay $200 for us. I mean, we have that $200 product, but we have this really good. So what Sazerac has not been able to do is really what makes you money in this game. Like what they're doing with the limited edition allocation stuff, I don't think that's sustainable. I really don't. I think that has... That yeah, has you, want, a, you want to be on the go. shelves at all times. Exactly. What Heaven Hill's doing with Evan Williams, Elijah Craig, that's sustainable. Wild Turkey 101, sustainable. But but aren't they trying to do that with their, just their standard Buffalo Trace line? Because the standard Buffalo Trace line is under $30, and you can't find it anywhere, at least in Kentucky. I think it's all a regional thing based on either distribution or allocation or whatever it is. But I would, I I would, argue, I would argue that that they're trying to do it. Yeah. But it's it's hard to know exactly what happens inside those walls if it is a, well, we'll, play, we'll do the scarcity play, and we will make people think that you can't find it. Or they literally just do not don't have, have, it. Don't yeah. have the stock. I, don't, I do not know. I, I know that they are, and people don't like to hear this, but the people who make those decisions for Sazerac, when it comes to selling product, I don't think there's anybody better in the business. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. 
Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. I know that they are, and people don't like to hear this, but the people who make those decisions for Sazerac, when it comes to selling product, I don't think there's anybody better in the business. They have built something that nobody else, everyone else had the opportunity to do it, especially Beam. Beam has the stocks. Beam has the the diversity of their of their whiskey, but you know they never came out with with anything remotely close. And, and believe me. You know they're they're pitching their their fifteen year old you know coming back from Europe tanked whiskey, and it's you know someone else is selling for two hundred bucks and they can't sell. You know you go you go into stores and in a lot of places you still see Knob Creek twelve year old on on the shelf and like why is it why does Knob Creek why is Knob Creek nine year old not selling you know it's like it's really good <laughs> it's amazing for the money and and it's like what any t- when Buffalo Trace. Sazerac, when they when they make decisions about their stocks, their brands, I really think it dictates the market. And you know, we could even talk flavored whiskey. You know, Fireball changed the spirits game. Everybody was chasing Fireball. Everybody. And the only brand that even came close to them was Jack, Jack Daniels, and they uh, they honey. they diverted all their black label, you know, marketing into Fire, and it paid off. You know, so Fireball has a you know competitor, but some of that stuff too. Going back to the the vitriolic commentary that they get, I mean, some all that success, victim of their own success, that has potential to be their downfall. Right now, they're getting sued, right, for this Fireball situation. They're suing RNDC in this market, and probably soon others. They pulled out of all their other places, so they have they have a significant amount of damage control that they have to work on. But at the end of the day, people want those bottles and the the bourbon community that we're a part of, a lot of bottle chasers out there. The brilliant thing about Sazerac was, you know, they announced this and then a few days later, they come out with this video, you know, they're filming with the new Kentucky distributors, you know, it's just like small mom and pop Eagle, you know, Kentucky and they're Eagle, like, yeah. they're like, this is our third generation and the third generation always screws it up, you know, and, it, <laughs> and then they're like, uh, and like the whole video is just like, like Sazerac's here to partner with the locals, you know, and like, and it's like, uh, I was like vomit, you know, it's like, they're just trying to come out of this and who knows what happened with the Republic Sazerac deal. There's probably, I feel like both parties want to get out of this as fast as possible. Cause you don't want to start peeking into what both sides are doing, but yeah. that's just, I'll stop commenting on that. But, but I think it that's, just, <laughs> that's there, there'll be a book written about it at yeah. some point. By not you. by me. No, <laughs> not, say, not by me. Back, not by me. No, it's, too niche. I don't want to write that book. Well, let's let's kind of take it back again to the original topic well, here. Is is would bourbon be pop? Go ahead. What's well, I just had one more thought too. It's like you know the vitriol thing. It's like they you know they've been well known that they tried to take or they did take down the secondary market. You know, online for us whiskey fans. You know, there's rumors that they were re- responsible for the Justin's House of Bourbon. I don't know if that's true or not. Because that's where the, the products they were attacking. It's like I, I don't know about that. I, I mean, maybe, but it's definitely true that a lot of those products were were what they were going after. But I don't think I don't think that's the case. I, I, I think they would have um, 
their style isn't to be like that. It, it's more, it's more lawsuity. Well, I think the perception is that they're trying to take down like the whiskey community. I guess and, maybe it's just the second. Maybe, maybe and I'm not saying it's true. I think that maybe people have that mindset. Yeah. Back to that damage control right. thing I was talking about. Yeah, yeah I, I think you you do have some some point there. Only because the only products you really see continually go for a crazy amount at auctions, selling on secondary. 90% of it is all Sazerac products or it's just LTOs from the other big six. Nothing else really kind of Well, I you know what's interesting what's interesting about that is that Michter's is the only one that really rivals them at the big auctions. They rival them and beat them often. Yes, they they rival and beat them often, but I'm talking also on the volume. The volume yeah. of of Michter's bottles is not there. No, it's not, not even close. it's maybe yeah. one one hundredth of what you'd yeah. see when you I mean you can go to unicorn auctions and you're gonna look and what there's Blanton's bottles littered across there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just any Rock Hill Farms, you name it. And so that that even goes into our, our basic question and premise of this is would bourbon be popular without Buffalo Trace? Because even that goes to show that that's what people are. <laughs> the Rock Hill Farms is, is astounding to me that people buy that brand because it's I don't know I, that that that, but that Hancock's one, Reserve then. and Hancock's Reserve those two are like doesn't do it for you ancient no. age. Let's keep going. Yeah, all those. It's like. That that's what's so fascinating about this whole like conversation is like I don't think it'd be as popular. How about that? I I, I think it would still be popular. I think Sazerac could fix a lot of their own problems if they just raised their SRP on these things and like re- realize the actual value of their product versus living in this pipe dream that ninety nine dollars is really what someone's going to pay for stag. But the answer to the original question and why we're having this conversation, I do not think it's as popular. I don't think yeah. we have this podcast. I don't think I'm able to have a career. I don't think that there's all these spirits competitions, all of these, all the cottage media, the cottage travel industry, all these things that have popped up. I do not think it would be as popular without Buffalo Trace. And by that same token, I don't think it'd be as popular without Maker's Mark or Wild Turkey. I think Four Roses adds a lot to it. But I think if you were to point toward one one distillery over the last 15 years that has grown the palates and the hearts, hearts too, through like, we didn't even bring up Freddie Johnson. I mean, yeah, yeah. Freddie is the man. Freddie coming into the scene. I think he's he, probably been the, the binding factor he of has, a lot of it too. He has been an incredible, like, he's, he's the, he's the heart, right? Yeah. He's the heart and soul of how, you know, us enthusiasts feel. You know, that moment of him talking, and he talks about it often, having a, having a glass of bourbon with his dad, right. on, basically on his deathbed. Like, it was like, that's all of us. We all feel that when we have a good drink. We all want that moment with our loved ones one more time. And and so Freddie is a big part of, of that. So they have the product. They have probably the best or one of the best personalities in the game. Do you think and they'll they, have a brand after him? You know, it's got a root beer. Well, not the root beer. But <laughs> <laughs> they will that create some sort of product brand. line. Yeah. Well, I think uh, they similar. started with the root beer. Or like Gilmer T and the, you know. Well, those, I hope so. I hope, they, for, I hope they pay him a royalty when that happens. But you're right. You go, when you spend time with Freddie, it, it, it like brings all those happy feelings back yeah. that you have about Sazerac and, and whatnot. And the last thing is, you know, the, that old saying, all press is good press. Buffalo Trace revels in the mystique of all their secrets. Yeah. Uh, we still don't even know what the hell happened with Pappy Gate, you know, you know this stuff. It's just like it's like there's all, this brand all of mysticism. These, yep, there's all this stuff around him. It's like why here? Why why is this that? Whereas everyone else is like, you know, Jim Beam's like, yeah, we lose a barrel a month. You know, it happens. You know, <laughs> but they're they make a big deal out of it. It's Pappy, the only ones that can make national headlines when you say that you're not going to release one product from the antique collection. <laughs> They made the New York Times for not releasing Stag. <laughs> I mean, this does not happen. Not so, with anybody else. Not, not in any category. If Opus One said they were not going to release something, the, the New York Times wine critic would not be writing about it. No. If Patterson says he wasn't going to write another book uh, <laughs> for a couple years, I mean, it might make the book section in a little blur, but it wouldn't be that big of a deal. This was like, you know... F- Center, above, yeah. above the fold in the food section. I mean, it's like, holy crap, this is the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, 
as much as I don't want to admit it, I think they have grown the category and they've been instrumental in getting us to where we are today. It's you hate to admit it, but we're it's, here it's, talking it's, about them, aren't we? It's when we're talking about it, and it's <laughs> and it's like you said, it's that mysticism and that you know you can't find it, you can't understand completely what what they got. It's just that thing they got it. You don't know what that thing yeah. is, but they got it, and uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I would I would love to understand and talk to a, a psychiatrist or somebody that that knows well that knows the inner psyche and and buying habits of people to understand more about why do people find this so attractive and maybe it is because it's good whiskey we should get one of those people on the show i think it could be good because uh, i i actually i wanted to interview one for whiskey advocate a long time ago and my editors were like, yeah, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, good thing you don't have to talk to Whiskey Advocate to make it here. You just gotta, yeah, let, I think let's... Uh, we can have our dumb shows here. Yeah. <laughs> let, let's have... A, let's do that. Let's find Let's find someone like that. I'll, I'll, so if you're a listener out there and you have an idea, shoot me a message and maybe we'll come on the show. But, you know, back to also to kind of bring it all full circle to what you had said at the very beginning, Ryan, is when we talk about just the advertising, they have not been very forthcoming with advertising up until recently. Yeah. Now, I mean, Rogan and Yellowstone, but that's, that's very recent. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and and which is interesting. Well, now, right? hold because on they now. Because they don't really need to advertise. Hold on now. They have been the most prolific bottle placement brand in bourbon and you know they had oh were, for movies for, for movies TV shows, TV shows. Yes. they've been very prolific. They had a uh, an entire movie like created around the intern. Um, oh just, yeah, justified. Yeah. You know, Pappy Van Winkle was in the intern. Uh, justified basically poured Blanton's every five seconds and and wrote Pappy into the into the script. And um, whenever someone wins a national championship, there's a a mysterious bottle of Pappy Van Winkle in the <laughs> locker room. I mean, I don't think that stuff happens by by accident. Those those prominent bottle placements, that is, um, you know, there, there's someone behind that. Just like there was when Jack Daniels was following Frank Sinatra around yeah. and give, making sure he always had a case of whiskey. You know, we don't we don't learn about that story until well after the man's retired. But you know, th- there's always somebody somebody there. Yeah, intentionally doing something, even though it may not seem intentional. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the best. That's the best kind of placement. Yeah. Well, well, you two have admitted it. I'll go ahead and admit it. <laughs> yes, we wouldn't be here without Buffalo Trace. They they have definitely been something that everybody talks about. It is the brand that once people get into it. I mean, even with me in my own bourbon journey, I remember the first time I had Eagle Rare, and I was a big fan of it. I also didn't. It took me, I think gosh, two years to finish my first bottle of Rock Hill Farms because I wasn't a fan of it. But yeah, the only product I really liked was the Weller. Well, at 107, that was that was where it was at. And that was just something that we all kind of gravitate towards. Then you find stag and then you lose your shit. And then all, <laughs> all of a sudden you've got bottles everywhere. But Weller 12 was my first whiskey of the year. Yes. That's with tasting panel. Oh, I've got my own. So good. I got my own Weller 12 hunting story from buying out everything I could in specs and goody goody in Dallas one year, but those raised leaders. Yeah. All those raised leader one leaders I got over here. Mm. But that being said, yes, they have, they have achieved the epitome of what many brands would aspire to because Mm -hmm. they have the it. We don't know what that is, but they have the it and we need somebody to help us figure out what that (laughs) it is. But for the most part, I, I, they are admirable from that point. They're admirable from being able to create this this latching thing that just people want to be a part of. They People are hunting it. People are finding it. People go into stores and they go, do you have this? And they just walk out immediately. They don't even attempt to go and talk to, it, you know, find other bourbons that they're like, well, if I can't find this or anything like this. Right. So they have, they have found something that, you know, and hopefully they can hold on to it for, for a long time because- it has helped grow the category. I feel it has been able to do that in, in, in an adverse effect. So we'll just have to see where the next couple of years takes us. And now that they're starting to crank out, oh gosh, what, more whiskey than almost mm-hmm. anybody else? Like, what, 2,000 barrels a day is something like that is what they're starting to, to do. So we've got a, a lot of whiskey on the horizon coming from them. Yeah, and the carrot that they are chasing, they are chasing the volume play you know, that Evan Williams has, that Jim Beam has, that Wild Turkey and Makers have. Like they, that's the one piece 
in their portfolio that they haven't mastered. And yeah, we bring up Buffalo Trace, like is that is the bottle they're trying trying to push, but people just take it. I think they look still look at it as kind of like a like a special thing, but they have not hit that mark with like you go into a liquor store and there's 50 bottles of Evan Williams there. And I think that's in order for them to kind of take that next leap, uh, they have to get there as a company. And you think hitting that that casual drinker, somebody just wants to come in yeah. and buy a bottle. Yeah, they I mean, they're not getting them. They're not and that's and that's where the money is. And they've they've hit that with fireball. I don't know about vodka, but they you know, with fireball, they've they're in every marathon, they're at every sporting event, they're at every college fraternity party. I mean, they're everywhere with fireball and they crushed it. Fortunately they're using Canadian whiskey that nobody wanted to make it. <laughs> and uh it's um, you know, that's doing well. But they have not they've not nailed it with uh with that everyday eighty eighty six proofer. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, cool. Well, I think that was a, a great way to kind of look at the landscape of what Buffalo Trace, the impact that they've had on the industry. If you have any kind of feedback on it, I think we'd love to be able to hear it. So just go ahead and send us a message. And like I said, if you're a psychiatrist and you understand consumer behavior, please let us know. Love to have you on the no, show. Man, we're going to we're going to get like, oh, I, I graduated from Stanford. How much, <laughs> how much time you got, buddy? <laughs> we got to work out some issues. <laughs> Well, why, and, why are we talking about a bourbon brand <laughs> and if they've raised a category? Actually, let's look at your life, Kenny. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Lay down on the couch. Why, why, tell me why you care. But <laughs> Start I, the my wife my wife is in, in mental health, so, like, you know, she's not the one to, to bring on for this. But, like, uh, you, you got to be very careful with this because they turn it on you real quick. Like, why are you really asking about this? Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, what it's ins- all my fault. I did it myself. What insecurities do you have? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Before I answer anything else, let's close this thing yeah. out. <laughs> so make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit on all those socials. Follow our good buddy, Fred Minnick over here. And if you like the show, share it with a friend, leave a review, all those great things. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Five and six. Toodles.